0: This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture, with me, Neil Denny. This week, I'm talking to novelist Amy Sackville about Diego Velázquez in her latest novel, Painter to the King. Amy Sackville's first novel, *The Still Point*, won the 2010 John Llewellyn Rees Prize, was longlisted for the Orange Prize, and shortlisted for the Dylan Thomas Prize and the Authors' Club Best First Novel Award. Her second novel, *Orkney*, won the 2014 Somerset Maugham Award. She's a lecturer in creative writing at the University of Kent. And Amy's latest novel, which we're going to talk about today, is *Painter to the King*. Amy, welcome to Little Atoms. Thank you for having me. How would you describe *Painter to the King*?
1: It's a novel about the life of Diego Velazquez in the 17th century and his time particularly at the court of Philip IV. So it begins with his arrival there as a young man and ends with his death, not really a spoiler, I hope, 38 years later. So he he spends more or less his entire adult life within the service of this court and this king.
0: And we know that it is Diego Velazquez, but Mm. apart from the very beginning... Mm. He's never named in the
1: book. He's never named at all by his surname. Um, So he's always referred to as Diego or as the painter more commonly. Um, That's a decision that I made quite consciously and that I think for quite a long time, it was a way to allow myself to write the book that I kind of had to tell myself that no one would ever know in some way, which is kind of naive looking back at it, thinking... Well, saying to the publishers you know, we don't have to name him in the publicity and they kind of said yeah sure 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 which obviously they were going to but I think I had to find a way to liberate myself from a completely strict adherence to the facts and the idea that I was writing a fictionalised biography which isn't really what I was setting out to do
0: So where did the idea come from? How did you end up writing about Diego? I'd planned
1: to write about I'd planned to make up a court painter so what I was interested in was this idea of a figure who sits at the centre of this incredibly complex web of relationships and who has access to every tier of this very complex system that is the court and who is interested in every tier of that court but who also is slightly outside of it, um, is a kind of servant in quite a, an ambiguous relationship to those various different tiers. So I suppose the kind of outsider I to some extent but who is also deeply embedded. And I think I was always considering Velazquez as a possible model for that having been casually familiar with his painting I wouldn't call myself in any way an expert but I'd been thinking about those beautiful paintings of the jesters and the dwarves and the sort of men of pleasure as they're called of the court as well as the courtiers as well as the royal portraits and he does that in a way that I think no other court painter ever really has done and when I went to look at those paintings in Madrid I I was so expecting to be kind of knocked sideways by them and yet the actual that actual experience far exceeded that expectation. They were just so extraordinary. And when I started to read a bit more about his life, which I knew very little about uh, when I started out, and discovered that he had been kind of stuck in this court for such a long time and in this quite peculiar, sort of intimate but always distanced relationship with the king particularly, I was kind of really fascinated by that relationship and that eventually persuaded me that I should just use him I should just write his his life and and not try to make something
0: up and this is literally how the novel starts with a narrator encountering Las Meninas yes um in the Prado um why and then that that narrator continuously inserts themselves throughout the novel so tell me why you decided to take that approach
1: well that that opening really is more or less the first thing that I wrote and it really does describe that encounter with the painting. I was quite torn for a long time whether to use that as the opening. It kind of precedes the narrative, and it's just disc- the chapter title as such is frame, so it works as a kind of prologue. And there were all kind of reasons that I was quite resistant to using that. Partly that I didn't really want it to seem that this was kind of rehearsing the narrative that it's all building up to this one great masterpiece, um, and also because I was in two minds whether to include that narrator figure at all and it kept kind of insisting itself in the writing and I didn't want to examine it too closely at first because I I think that writing is always a bit of a process of doing things instinctually and then later interrogating them and working out what it was you were doing and it's quite a careful balance, I think, that you can over-analyse and over-interrogate. You have to allow the things to come out first. Um, but when I did come to analyse it, I actually thought, having that kind of presence in the text is quite appropriate to the period that i'm writing about that baroque art is all about kind of exposing artifice and surfaces and that kind of um
0: and that painting in particular
1: yeah absolutely and you know he's there in the frame so it's it's a it's a kind of nod to that practice of inserting yourself into the side of the painting absolutely as well as as kind of acknowledging that the kind of meta theatrical thing that happens in the theatre of the time as well And I think I also wanted to kind of find ways to deconstruct the lie that a lot of historical fiction invites us to invest in, which is lots of fun in lots of instances. I've got nothing against that. But um, the idea that I'm creating a kind of reality and pretending that it is true. And I kind of I wanted to recognise the artifice in that, I think.
0: And you mentioned that when you embarked on this project, you didn't know much about Velazquez's Mm. life. And actually, nobody really does. He's... For such a huge figure in the art yeah. world, his, his life itself is, you know, quite shrouded in mystery. So does that, I mean, I guess that could be a bonus or not Definitely. when you're setting out on this project.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think I'm really interested in kind of absences within texts anyway. I'm quite interested in these kind of gaps in the middle of things. But I think it's also possible that we don't know much about his life because nothing very much happened. <laughs> and I think that in itself is quite interesting that he went to this court with the intention of becoming a courtier with the intention of establishing himself. He did that, he was elevated. So there are things we do know about him which are very concrete, that he was promoted at particular points, that he went to Rome at two particular points. We know about paintings he was paid for, we know about commissions, we know about the child that he had, um, that his legitimate child, it resurfaced considerably later that he'd also had an illegitimate child and, and not much is known about that. And so there is that one sort of gap that we don't really know what was going on with that but for the most part I think his life was possibly just not that exciting I think he just was in this court and doing his job and I think partly that was what interested me about him is that he is this quite sort of almost passive presence and I didn't want to kind of try and get into his head too much apart from maybe in the act of painting
0: and you've written what we could loosely describe as historical fiction mm. before, yeah. but this is this is a story where there is, you know, key points and events that are definitely known that yeah. sort have of presumably definitely gotta be included. Yeah. So again, how is that how is writing to you know that portrait's gotta be in there? Yeah. You know, the the various points of the king's life have gotta be in there.
1: Yeah, um I found it really kind of difficult to navigate and really kind of inhibiting actually Um, despite having told myself that I wasn't going to be a slave to all of those facts and that I could miss things out or rearrange them and that, that it wasn't the point to kind of give this accurate portrayal or account as such but on the other hand I think just as much I was kind of resistant to the idea that you can mess around with things that happened in order to make the narrative tidy in order to kind of impose the structure of of a story where actually the way that life is lived is kind of messy and not that coherent and sometimes things don't quite agree in the way that you'd hope they would so it's known that the king became ill and then resolved to be more pious and to be more attendant and that did happen but he did also continue to have affairs so there isn't this kind of change in character that's actually then marked in action if that makes
0: sense. Once you decided that, you know, Velázquez is going to be the subject, or I guess even even before, when Mm. we're still talking about a book about a possibly fictional court painter, Mm. let's talk about the research that was involved. You know, how did you go about gathering?
1: Yeah, um, I love doing research. I really find it a kind of incredibly creative exercise and I don't see it as a sort of straightforward I need to find out the facts and then I need to encapsulate them in narrative it's more about using what I discover as a starting point or a a way into a thinking about the writing so I did read about obviously I read various biographies and, and kind of historical accounts but I also read lots of Plays from the period. Um, I spent a lot of time just looking at the paintings, and I think of that as being a part of the research. There there was quite a sort of broad brush approach, I suppose, and again, that it's getting that balance between that becoming inhibiting and sort of wanting to second guess absolutely everything you do, and also because I love doing the research, not wasting days on finding out something to make one single word correct in one sentence. But I do think there is value in that.
0: What do you think? Philip Saw in Velasquez Hmm.
1: then? I I think as a strategic move, he was kind of the cool person to a point because he's doing something that's quite new and different and trendy and he's seen as this kind of realist painter who isn't conforming to the sort of standards of traditional portraiture in the same way that the other people in the court are, although at the same time he very much is bound by those conventions. And Philip was quite interested in art and he, he wanted to be seen as this kind of cultured monarch. So it's partly that. One of the things that I, I guess coming back to that question of why I chose this story is also Philip as a figure that I felt a tremendous amount of sympathy for him. That he It was such a strange life within that court that he has to kind of perform every single action that he makes and he's constantly visible, he's constantly observed and he has to perform in a particular way in absolutely everything that he does um, and that
0: court is insane i mean we think we know <laughs> what you know what the courts of that time you know yeah. obviously in, in in england was like yeah um, but the spanish court is so like you said he, he was looking for someone who was a you know a, a realist and someone that was a mm. fashionable painter mm. but that court is so sort of high bound and traditional and there's all these great scenes of of, like, Philip just standing there and, like, not talking yeah, and, like, guests yeah. being ushered into his presence mm. and him just, like, you know,
1: yeah it's, in it's, a statue. it's quite extraordinary. And, and it, that's the expectation, that he should be this kind of immobile presence. Um, and that's something that I, I admit I didn't have much of a sense of before I started doing that research, was how distinct the Spanish court was from other European courts, partly because of the kind of... Iberian aspect I suppose it's this kind of Peninsular aspect I think partly because of The particular brand of Catholicism I think there's all kinds of historical Reasons for it But they are kind of obsessed With honour they're Knit up in this kind of neo-Stoical Tradition that they should just accept everything That happens to them and that, that Goes hand in hand with a particular brand Of piety so it's a really It's a really stifled existence. It seemed to me,
0: Um, and even for you know, for a typical royal house, they mm. are insanely inbred.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely, and that's. I mean, that's which is kind of a source of tremendous tragedy that his children keep dying, and that's partly, presumably, because they're terribly inbred. He's obsessed with the kind of legacy that he leaves behind, and part of that, part of what's involved in that, is it coming from the right bloodline and so the way to ensure that is if it comes from essentially your own bloodline so his I think one of the most kind of upsetting aspects of his life story of Philip's life was that he had to marry his niece who had been hugely younger years and years and years younger than him and had been destined to marry his son who died and so he he has to kind of Having thought that he'd done with the whole kind of producing an air thing, has to take it up again when he's a much older man and take up with this girl, really. Um, I think there's something very moving about his, his life and kind of absurd at the same time.
0: Ready to pop the question? listening to little atoms i'm neil denny today i'm talking to amy sackville and we're talking about her novel painter to the king and amy just staying with the real live velasquez for a moment what does a court painter apart from the obvious mm. actually do that's
1: a very good question um one of the things that's quite surprising about velázquez is that he has he doesn't actually paint that much he doesn't leave very many paintings behind him and there's a chapter in the book where again an unnamed painter but is who is rubens comes to stay for a year and more or less produces within that year more paintings than velázquez manages in his entire life and presumably there's something inherent in his own practice that gives rise to that but also he just he's appointed to these various roles within the court which have nothing to do with being a painter that he's the um, Major domo, you know he's he's a chamberlain. He does all these other things, so he has uh, responsibility. By the end of his life, for for example, arranging accommodation for the king and decorating the palace and all of these kind of other schemes that he has involvement in. And there's, I suppose, again, this is one of these gaps, these absences that there's no way of knowing whether he enjoyed doing that, whether he found it frustrating. I think you inevitably project things onto characters and whether this is me finding sympathy with him or forcing something upon him I don't know but I'm a terrible procrastinator and I will always do anything that seems sort of more accomplishable <laughs> um before I'll do my own writing I find it incredibly difficult to persuade myself to sit down and actually do the thing that means the most to me and I I suppose I maybe projected that onto him slightly and thought maybe this is a an easier thing for him to do to kind of i don't know hang up these paintings than it is to do on himself
0: there's a i mean a great image that seems like a, a, a metaphor from a novel mm. um mm. that you know is a thing that really happens that mm. sort of marks his progression in his career mm. which is the you know the gradual unlocking of doors deeper yes. and deeper and deeper yeah, into yeah. the palace
1: yeah i think that's an image that sort of dictated the shape of the novel very early on actually that i, I suppose because of the way that last Maniness is constructed with that doorway at the back so that idea of a progression through doorways and through frames is to the extent that i for quite a long time wanted to call the book frames and doorways but was dissuaded from that because my partner told me it sounded like the section of an mfi catalogue which you know i can see that but um I definitely think that that idea of kind of penetrating further into this kind of labyrinth was part of the structure of the book as a whole.
0: Over his career the relationship between Diego and Philip hmm. develops like they become, you know, as much as a man and and his king can yeah. be, they become friends.
1: Yeah, I think that's true and again there's not a huge amount of historical evidence but what there is would suggest that that is a genuine relationship and I think that's partly because There was, again, this kind of space in the middle of this extremely rigid court where the king could go to the painter's studio and just sit there. And that's something that's recorded that he did. There's a kind of space of silence there for him in some way. And I think maybe there's an intimacy in that kind of not having to perform. I think just that they can exist together in that space without the way in which they're supposed to do so being... Forced upon them, or without being looked at by anyone else.
0: I just wanted to talk about one of the other characters that features in the book from mm. Philip's life, and mm. that's um, Maria Calderon, the the actress that he he takes yeah. a fancy to yeah. at one point. Obviously, this is a book that's you know it's about painters and and kings, and mm. it's therefore you know most of the characters, you know the the kings, um, prime minister, the um, the count, duke, mm. who's a, another great character. Most of these characters are men, yeah. and then there's this. La Calderona. Yeah. Tell us something about her.
1: So the general absence of women is something that did concern me slightly and which I think in the end I decided to make visible. So in a in a way there are various passages where those kind of absent women are made visible by their absence, if that makes any sense at all. And La Calderona is one that, who... She was the mother of Philip's most famous illegitimate child and... She was just sort of locked up from the minute that he began this affair with her, first of all as a as a courtesan essentially paid paid to live in a house and for him to come and visit her when need outweighed guilt I assume, and then eventually she was packed off to a convent and it seemed to me that there are ways in which the women are kind of existing in the spaces in the text and sometimes in more empowered ways as well. So there were lots of women who had a huge amount of influence on Philip's reign, his first wife, and various nuns who I've kind of conflated into one, but various nuns that he took advice from and who really did advise his policy and kind of chastised him in a way that he seemed to need (laughs) um, or want. This is a
0: a novel that, Mm -hmm. you know, is to a major part concerned about visual arts. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about how you represent the paintings in the story. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's obviously ways in which, like at the very beginning, there's when Diego's travelling to the court, you know, there's a scene that's, that's set in an inn where yeah. he, he describes in real time mm-hmm. the, the scene that will become the... Um, the old woman cooking eggs yeah. painting. But then later on, you describe him actually creating the paintings. Yeah. And that sort of created in the way that you use language. Tell mm-hmm. me something about that.
1: That was one of the things that as soon as I settled on Velazquez, one of the things that became a kind of obsession for me, I think, and how I was going to try to realise that relationship between prose and and painting. Um, and if there was a way to create... a texture that would in some way emulate the practice of painting and which would change over time in the book. So that's one of the things that I tried to do that his style changes over 40 years, of course. So in that first scene that you're describing, there's there's a lot of kind of exhaustive description of detail because his painting is very precise in its description of every individual object. And by the end, it's a bit looser and freer and a bit more impressionistic. And I don't know whether it succeeds or not. It was something that I was very much kind of in my mind from the beginning of writing was how would I do that probably to the expense of narrative drive and those kinds of things that other people write novels about but yes so hence all the dashes and things which I understand are not irritant to many people but which <laughs> serve a function as far as I'm concerned no, it very
0: much succeeds I think and and yeah you mentioned earlier you're, you know you're in the idea of space within mm. fiction and and again yes you know you're, you're concerned with how the words are represented on the page mm. literally yeah um tell me something about that both a in terms of, you know, representing that freer style of his painting, mm. later in his career, yeah. using punctuation, yeah. but also just, you know, how the how the language is, is represented on the page.
1: I think I'm always quite interested in what a book looks like when you open it. You can see so much just without reading any of the actual words or how much space is given. And that's something I'm quite interested in. And so, again, I was quite obsessive about how big the breaks between paragraphs were and where partic- where the fleurons are placed and how how that might work. And also there are small images within the text and where they would be placed.
0: And the images are not of the whole picture. They're just little sections yeah, of the picture. They're,
1: they're small details so I, and which aren't always... Kind of indirect relationship to what's being described on the page at the time that they're in a kind of oblique relation sometimes. So I think I, I was interested in what would make the reader stop on the page, what makes your eye run quickly, what makes it kind of pause or retrack in the same way that painting sometimes moves fast and sometimes appears to have been reworked and and requires more attention so that idea that they're in contradiction to me they're not entirely in that text does have a spatial dimension and also looking at a painting has a temporal dimension we don't just take it in all in one instant and it takes time to execute as well
0: just one more thing for me mm. then and then I'll, I'll get you to read a bit of the book if you would um one of the writers were an influence on this book
1: mm. uh, <laughs> so i read a lot of books that were about artists, I suppose, and about art, trying to think about different ways into that. I mean, in some ways, obviously, the, the texts of the period were an influence, so that kind of slightly knowing, tongue-in-cheek acknowledgement of artifice, all of that stuff is is more 17th century than it is postmodern, if you want to say that, Um I was reading lots of kind of Europe, like Krasna Hawkeye, sort of they there below, this kind of, again, thinking about what text looks like on the page. So how long can you bring a sentence and how long can you keep a reader's attention and what what kind of attention is it that you're demanding? Um, So those are questions I'm quite interested in. But I suppose I'm always thinking about a kind of modernist tradition, really, and a a kind of maybe a European tradition. I guess it is, yeah, Krasna Hawkeye and Thomas Bernhard and that kind of tradition I was thinking
0: about. Okay if I can get you to read us a bit yes. of the book
1: So I'm going to read the beginning of chapter one which actually comes after that framing narrative that I, that I mentioned um, so this describes the painter arriving in Madrid having been called to court and is uh, the description of that, that painting the old woman cooking eggs as we mentioned as we talked about so, and the chapter is called Bodegon or Still Life Say he arrived at night, the painter. In summer the dark comes late, the sky only just deepening blue as he reaches the gates of Madrid. He had a stipend for the journey and some pride. He arrives in style. He has paid for a horse. Just one attendant on a mule with the baggage who has no features in the dark beyond the torchlight. The gatekeeper is waiting to take their entry tax, greets them with bluff caution, wonders who approaches the city so late. The roads aren't safe after dark. True, He must have been anxious to reach the city, but there's no sense in his arriving in the middle of the night. Why risk himself, his goods, his horse, his faceless servant? He has ridden a long road from Seville. Say he stopped for a rest as the sun sank. They are travelling north, so as the sun sank to his left. The capital already half-shadowed in the distance on the tawny plain. The air full of kicked-up soil and straw dust from the fields already yellowing and drying into a meagre baked crop. He stops and stays at an inn a few miles away. Breaks his journey so that when he arrives he will be rested, fresh, as free of dust as anyone can be from the road coming into the city in summer. Spends a restless night, worrying, scratching, glad to rise in the morning. He paid extra to avoid sleeping on straw, but the beds are no less infested. Brown piss frothing in a piss-stained pot, a chip dark brown in the rim of it. The smell strong and stinging. He should drink this dry air. He drinks and then washes quickly with cool water, an earthen ewer and a basin, liquid, limpid with dawn light. He sees all of this, the droplet that hangs on the lip, there, the early high dawn caught in it and making the stoneware gleam. He thinks briefly of home and perhaps of the water cellar, sweet trace of a ripe fig, the fluid clarity, the goblets shine. He descends the stair and finds his way to the kitchen. He hands his provisions to the old woman, asks her to cook him breakfast. He has eggs, which he has somehow transported from the last hen coop he passed. He watches them in the pan just setting, a semi-opaque loop, a series of rounds within rounds. The circle of the old iron pan is not quite perfect, so if his brush line were to follow its form, he would include in the foreshortened oval that bentness, that dent. The boy serves him the eggs. The serious boy with the straight-cut hair, sleek like a mole's fur, cut close on the scalp, the planes of the bone beneath. The boy serves him eggs and water from a carafe, half-glazed white and painted with a simple leaf design. The painter has faith in solid objects, arresting their motion through the world and preserving forever their thisness, the quiddity of matter and moisture and shine, transparency, opacity, the exterior that things present to the world and how much of the world can be seen through them, distorted, distilled... The cool curve in the hand, the rough striation of the clay and the smooth glaze, the fine cracks snagging lightly each ridge of the fingertip. He attends to all of this, plasticity, rigidity, fragility, damage and flaw, detail, surface and shape, copper gleaming, a dark knife resting on a bowl, its bent black shadow, the hairy tangle topping a glossy red onion, a melon tied with cord, the pale orange sheen and the dull brown patch like a map of a new continent... Or like nothing except a blemish on fruit skin, exactly as it is. Or a glass, a sherry glass, a short-stemmed tulip tapering to a narrow rim with a pink lip smear where three sips have been taken. The chill condensing on the outside, just higher than the line of the pale pheno reduced by three sips. Damp paper napkin, dirty plastic ashtray. A thin black pen matted to the touch, nib nervously rotated in and out by the pent clip, grasped and ungrasped, loosely tapping at the page. I'm restless since I left you, since I moved off from where I'd stopped, left you stopped. Things look strange to me, the light it might be, I'm looking. I'd like to borrow your eyes. None of these things, these solid objects on an outdoor table at the centre of this plaza in Madrid this evening now seem as solid as that glossy red onion that rotted almost 400 years ago. I've half made them up. Pisspot, ewer, bowl. Eggs, onion, melon. Carafe, woman, boy. These are the elements of this composition. The sinews of her wrists, his strong large hands, thumbnail shining and long enough to cast a slivered shadow on the skin beneath. Solid objects, solid flesh, just like any one of us.
0: I've been talking to Amy Sackville. We've been talking about her latest novel, Painter to the King, which is out now from Granta. Amy, thank you so much for coming in and telling me about it. Thank you very much.